Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. We have every week, we have interesting and accomplished members of, or people from the adaptive community who, who have shown perseverance, innovation, building communities, and, and ways to find solutions. Today, we have someone who is connected with the adaptive community. It's a huge treat for me. She's actually coming to us 2 a.m. in Tanzania. You're in Arusha, I assume, right, Sarah? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so Sarah Raymond was our liaison when I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And I feel like, honestly, anything I really know about Africa, I feel like I've learned from you. Uh, so, so, so I hope that's a good thing for you. I hope you don't say, no, you, I didn't teach you that. But, but anyway, Sarah has, has joined us. We're going to get to talk about the Plaster House, which she founded the Plaster House, and we'll tell you what the Plaster House is. It's an amazing, uh, an amazing thing, a resource for, for so many people in need who are going through medical, whether uh, orthopedic or, or um, uh, plastic surgery kinds of, kinds of issues, kids who are, who are going through that. But we'll get to that, but I wanna go back a little bit because you know what, I don't even know how we got connected with you. I think it was through Dave Penny, who was my guide, mm-hmm. right? Is that, how, how did we get connected with you when we came to Tanzania? Because you were a godsend to us. You helped us so much. Uh, thanks, Chris. It's, uh, it's really, nice to, really nice to chat with you. Um, I got a random email from a retired neurosurgeon who has links with the work that we're doing in northern Tanzania and it basically said well my son-in-law is connected with this guy who thinks climbing Kilimanjaro in a wheelchair is going to be a hit and uh, could you could you help him uh, discuss what the what the healthcare rehabilitation situation is like in northern Tanzania. And you're working with a hospital at that point, weren't you? Were you doing outreach for a hospital or and he was affiliated with it as well, right? How is is that true? Well he would he was part um part of a conglomerate um who would come and or helped build a a hospital back in the day. So I think that that must have been about 30 years ago and or even longer and he um yeah so he was working with this with this lutheran hospital helping get equipment over here raising funds for the construction of that hospital uh yeah and i was working i started the rehabilitative surgery program under that hospital so every time he would come over i'd uh, get to see him get chatting uh, and he knew what I was doing here. So, how long had you been in Tanzania before we came there? I mean, that was we we arrived first in June of '08. Right, and so I'd been living, I'd been living here for four years, um, or the better part of four years by that point. Yeah, I mean, some things are are are, are strange, right? I mean, because I think I remember the first time we we came over. And it was a long flight. And, and I went out for sort of like a jog in my, in my everyday wheelchair to, to kind of get the kinks out after being there. And, and I said to you afterwards that people were staring at me mm-hmm. like I was on television, not like I was a TV star, but like I was on television. Like I would, I would wave to them and they wouldn't stop staring. They, they continued to stare. And you said to me, well, one, you're white. Two, you're in a wheelchair, and three, nobody's pushing you. You you don't see that. You you know you don't see that. You, you don't see that. But I also, in traveling around with you, you had an amazing ability to disarm people. 
because we would go somewhere and we were in some of these remote places and you would come in with, you know, the red hair and the white skin and, and the Australian way of giving people a bit of a hard time, as I understood it, all in Swahili. And people's heads would snap and go, what is going on here? I mean, it was completely, I assume that that was by design. But how did you end up in, in Tanzania? Like, why, why come here? What, what brought you here? Uh, I ended up in, in Tanzania almost quite by, a, by accident. I was looking for something different to be doing. I was living in, in New Zealand uh, in a town called Wanaka at the, at the time. And I was, I was looking for something different to do. I'd been challenged by an old boyfriend of mine over dinner to follow my dreams instead of just let life unfold and one of my dreams was to do uh, development work um, or aid work in a developing country a third world country and i was an occupational therapist working in a private practice uh, largely doing work with people who like you had had an accident that had ended them up with some kind of disability. So my job was really working in that, in that community. And there was an advertisement in the local newspaper for an occupational therapist to go to Tanzania as a volunteer. And that was it. I applied for the job and five months later, I landed in Tanzania. It was, um, I, Tanzania could have been in South America for all I knew. I had no idea where Tanzania was, but I grabbed hold of it and said, yes, this is mine, I'm going to do it. So I was here for, for two years, uh, the first time, and working out in a rehab center about an hour out of the major city, uh, Monduli. We, we went there, uh, there was a, this, this rehab center out there. And uh, I, I loved, I loved being here. I hated being here. I loved being here. It made me feel totally alive. I loved what I could do here to, to help people. And I went back to Melbourne and worked there for just over a year um, in Australia and then felt the pull to be, to be back here in 2006. And I've been back here ever since. Now, what's, what's the pull to be in Africa versus being in Melbourne? Because I'm sure you were doing great work in Melbourne and, and in Wanaka. I actually skied in Wanaka. So stayed in Wanaka and skied in Wanaka. So I have most certainly been there. That's different than, than Arusha. I felt so alive living here. I loved that what I was doing was really helping communities of people rather than individuals and I, 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 I loved the feeling of actually a little bit what you described that you know that I could disarm situations I knew the language I'm a little bit of a, a natural actress I, I don't mind being a little bit center of <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, I don't mind being the centre of attention, you know. And it just it sort of unfolded. It unfolded from there. Um, I saw a need that needed to be met, and I was able to really plug that plug that gap. Now, is there is there a spiritual part of this as well? for you, the, the reason that you're in Africa? I mean, you, you've worked with a Lutheran hospital and, and those kinds of things. I've always, I've always struggled with the, uh, with the term. I, at, let's say at the beginning, I really struggled with the term of being a missionary or being mm -hmm. called a missionary or those kinds of things. And yet I believe it's, it's pretty well what I do, who I am here. I don't really, you know, I'm not sent by a church. Um, I don't feel it as a, as a calling to do this, but I do think that there's definitely a, a spiritual element to the work that we do. 
what's the issue with 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 the term missionary is, is that, that you have i just i feel like uh missionaries got sort of uh, for me it was sort of this negative connotations that uh that we were coming over to 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 convert the heathens and you know preach the word of god and i don't feel that that's what i do i think probably the overarching um the overarching uh what i'd say about the work that we do is that we live the word of god you know we 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 live it we live the gospel we don't uh, we don't preach the gospel and i'm i've become more comfortable with that that that's one way to skin what we what the work that we're doing here so in some ways it's it's a more it's a more personal personal pursuit in some ways a personal pursuit that you have with with your own sense of spirituality and what your own sense of of what's of what's right and what's needed and how you can help yeah that's right definitely yeah it's a sense of mission that has uh that has driven me to where i to where i stand now definitely what did you think of us when we arrived what did you make of us and our okay, idea? So let's, let's, let's really complete the picture here, Chris. And so here's Chris who's gone off and uh, done his exercise uh, jog in the morning and staying in a, in a hotel somewhere between Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Meru with a team of, I mean, I'm sure my memory doesn't serve me right, but was it a team of 30 people or something? No, it wasn't that big. It probably seemed that way. There were, <laughs> on, on that first trip, it was, it was Amanda, Dave, uh, Patrick, Mike, uh, John, uh, John Lawrence, our, who's our doctor, Meredith, yeah. and 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 me. I think I think so. So I think it was actually just six. We seemed five times bigger, apparently. Oh, there were only six. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was just the amount of gear that you guys were carrying. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably right. So I think that that was when you were here doing a recce at that point and uh, sort of, I know that Dave um, went and jogged up Kilimanjaro that normally takes people 10 days to, to go up and down and he'd already jogged up Kilimanjaro five times that morning kind of thing. I mean, that guy was just like so laid back and yet physically like, he could do anything and uh you know I came the beauty of that is that it's a slight exaggeration <laughs> but it's only a slight exaggeration because he went out the first day and and went to went to kibo that mm -hmm. first day and kept going through each hut and and the guides were saying oh he's okay you know and, and dave dave told me when he trained in crested butte to go mm -hmm. to like the Himalayas that he would do four 14 or three 14,000 foot mountains in a day. And then he would run up to the top of one and then run down and then run up to the top of the next one and run down and run up to the top of the third one and sleep on the top of the third one. So he, he was, he was well-trained, but he was a freak of nature as well. I mean, continue <laughs> to be a freak of nature, but yes. The, so, so David run up to the top of the mountain five times. <laughs> And then I came in and you, you know, and we were going to get on a, a tour and go and see a little bit of the backside of, of Tanzania, the backside. That's, that's not what actually what I mean by that. But, you know, the, 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 it's like the B-roll of, of, of what you were going to eventually shoot with One Revolution and the and the movie you know it was it was really i feel like um the setting of the scene almost you know this is the country that that you're in here and this is the situation and i remember the the, the line was was you know you're going to be shining a light back on people living with disabilities over here and i believe i really believe that that's what you came to do but 
I was a little bit intimidated. You know, I can stand up in front of a couple of hundred people and spiel off in, uh, in Swahili. And here was this sort of like groovy group coming over from, from the US and, you know, with a, a, movie, a movie crew. And uh, I was, yes, vaguely intimidated by that. Uh, that I had no idea. I had no idea that you were ever intimidated. You, you seem to jump right into the group and take charge. And, and it's interesting that you're saying that, that it was kind of the B-roll of the movie, but it was also a part of Tanzania that a lot of people don't get an opportunity to see. I mean, we, we went to Kilimanjaro. We did that part. People see that part. We did do in Terengiri, we did, we did do a brief safari and saw some of the animals but we also saw a lot of the hospitals and a lot of the rehab places and we drove through and and for me i think it was really helpful because it gave me a sense of of what we were doing i mean remember we you introduced us to emmanuel how, how did you get to know emmanuel do you remember let's 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 put this because there are probably a couple of emmanuels in your history one of um <clears throat> five thousand plus patients but um he also had an accident Chris. no so the story as which is a heartbreaking story as, as as i was told is that he was he was active as a kid and that his mother had actually tied him to the bed uh, so that he wouldn't kind of roam and stuff like that. And that he ended up getting a disability as a result of it. And, and it was kind of a little elusive in terms of, in terms of quantifying what exactly it was. Cause I think there was some sort of a, there might've been some sort of a head injury as well. Uh, and uh, he was, he was, it, it was amazing because it was this heartbreaking story of, of really a kid who was actually abused, but but he had the, the kindest, most open heart of of anyone you'd you'd ever met. Like I mean, he just he he just seemed like the the picture of purity. Yeah. And 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 you introduced us to him, and we met his family, and we actually you know helped him a little bit. He went to a he went to a trade school. Yeah, that's right. It, and it's funny, this is some of the education that I ended up getting from you because I asked him at one point, and I think we were, you know, we were filming and we wanted to catch his story and, and Amanda did, a, did an amazingly beautiful story of, a man, of, of Emmanuel. And one of the coolest parts I thought, because he used like a, like a stick to a certain extent as kind of a crutch to get around. And we went to... I'm trying to remember it, the name of the wheelchair manufacturer um, in, in Arusha. Care. Mobility Care. So we went to Mobility Care and the opening of this film that, that Amanda did has, it has the sound of Emmanuel where, he, where he's on, on the pavement, on the, on the cement, and you hear the, the boom of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the stick and then sort of this shuffle shuffle and it's and it's really it's it's percussive it's it's musical it's lyrical in in a lot of ways and uh, and so we met him and actually helped him out to a certain extent with uh, going to this trade school and and I asked you or asked him at one point you know like like we'd like to help you out and and what would you like to do with your life do you, do you remember this at all i mean granted you've seen a lot of patients it's vaguely remembering you tell the story <laughs> so so i asked him what what would you like to do with your life and he said well i'd like to be a shoe shine guy and, and and i remember talking to you afterwards and i was like wow like like that's 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 too bad in some ways that this guy uh, doesn't you know we'd like to help him out and, he, and it's too bad that he doesn't have bigger dreams and 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 this was a part of the education for me in that, that, that you informed me about like sort of the temporary nature of, of life where, where people, where it's, where it's not like being in the US or being in Australia where you think, okay, well, this is, this is my big plan. This is what I'm going to do. And, and you said that that's, that's, a, that's a realistic plan mm -hmm. for him. 
you know, not to have this grand dream of, well, I'm going to go to college and go to medical school and become a doctor and do this or do whatever, you know, and it's like, so, so it was an interesting, it, it was an interesting cultural mm. experience for me. What has, what's informed your, what's informed you? Cause I'd imagine that you probably came into, into Africa in a similar way that, that I did where you thought, okay, because I mean, you're, you're a little bit of a, we're going to, we're going to change the world. We're going to make this happen. We're going to move forward. And, and when did you kind of run into this? This is an entirely different culture than I expected and had to change your direction. Did that happen early on? Yeah. I'd say that that was part of my sort of my evolution here in the first two years. So in the, in my first two years, when I was living out of, out of Arusha, I was one of very few white people living in this this village out an hour away. Um, I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time on my own. You know, I spent a lot of time reflecting. I spent a lot of time working out um, or sort of re setting my mindset, I guess, and it wasn't always pretty. It's so I think that I really learned in those in those in those first two years about and sort of coming as an occupational therapist where we are almost trained to assess somebody with where they are already at. You know, that's that's actually what we're we're trained to do is to is to assess a situation and and match um, match a response or match a treatment plan or those kinds of things. That's that's the core business of an occupational therapist. And, and so that was shocking, in some way, to 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 determine somebody's somebody's current situation. Was that is, is that how it ended up working for you? That all of your experience didn't, you know, you're like, okay, now I've got to throw that out and, and I've got to improvise. Yeah, absolutely. And I need to, I need to work with, work with what I've got. You know, I was, I was working with people and getting the best quickie wheelchairs and different J2 cushions. I mean, this is, this is, we're talking 25 years ago, so I'm sure it's outdated all the best cushions and, and all of those kinds of things, what kind of wheels, what kind of casters you're going to have on your, on your chair. And then you come to Tanzania and you can get a steel wheelchair made at Mobility Care. And that's the only answer that we can have to somebody who, who can't walk. I also, of course, came in with these very idealistic idealistic ideas um, around people living with disabilities. Well, of course we're gonna do this and this and this. So I, I had to learn the same, you know, and as I say, I'd learned this in the, in the first two years, you know, I had to learn the same as, as you did, that actually these bite-sized chunks are okay. You know, if he wants a shoe shine stand, that's great. He doesn't need to own 20 shoe shine stands and employ the shoe shiners. It's, and that's the way our community and our village life uh, really, really works here. Is that part of what's appealing for you in being there? Yes, I think so. It, it, was, it was also interesting to me, because you talk about people who, who might need a wheelchair, or you talk about, I mean, even like if, if, somebody, if, if somebody dies, that, that, that the community comes together to to help to help fund whatever whatever's needed the village comes together and helps help, mm-hmm. helps fund which you know which which happens to a certain extent in in other places but w- was that something that was that was profound for you when you saw that happen the the sense of community has always been a major draw for me that 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 feeling of feeling of community, the feeling of people coming together and helping each other, of, of mourning together, of celebrating together, uh, and yes, of helping each other out. It, 
So people with next to nothing give their contribution to the other person who is in trouble at that point in time, you know, in trouble with their lives at that point in time, because that's the insurance scheme. You pay to help that person out, you know that person's going to give a little bit when you come in six months time and and need some kind of assistance and that that real sense of community and working together yes to me is just i love that it's um how embraced were you in the community like when you first came in were you embraced that you had to did you have to fight your way in or how did how did it work i had to charm my way in chris <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, well, I, you're... Uh, I had to learn Swahili. I, at the workplace that I was in, they'd had several volunteers go through um, before, and it's almost like they challenged me to work out whether I was made of tough enough stuff. So they, there were there were times where I was excluded because I was the white person and people would speak in fast Swahili around me and it's it it wasn't always well I mean it wasn't always easy it it wasn't easy so I didn't arrive and come in as the white savior you know I really did have to I really had to work to cement my position to, to sort of chisel out and then cement my position um, in the community doing what I was doing with helping children with disabilities access the services that they could access. That they said, oh, we can, that like she's going to help us. So, so, so we trust her kind of, no, like after you, after you had already helped them kind of thing. Did you, did you know any Swahili when you first no. arrived? No. no. None, <laughs> none, none, none. So I arrived first in, uh, in 2002, in November of 2002, and I was sent off on a three-week language course. And that really taught me a lot of the, of the grammar. Um, and I have always had quite an ear for languages, but then Swahili, of course, is a, it's a Bantu language. It's a, it's a totally different language from anything that we would ever learn at school or, you know, any of those sort of, I learned French and German when I was at school. So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not French and German. Um, but I worked with children and a lot of the children who were coming in, also were learning Swahili. They were coming in and they only spoke their tribal language. So they were learning a language and they were teaching it to me along the same lines. So they would say to me, oh, you don't say it like this, you say it like that. That was the way it, uh, that's the way the conversation would go. That is awesome. And kids are so good at teaching a language too, because, you know, they're not like a teacher teaching from on high, but they, but it's just like, no, 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 this is the way it goes. And they're going to, they're not going to sugarcoat it either for you. Oh, that's right. And they, that's right. And it's, not, it's, um, they, they're not embarrassed to correct you. It, it became a game, you know, they weren't embarrassed to correct me. And, and, and yet uh, they didn't let me just gloss over it. So, Wow. And so these other people who had preceded you in your position had sort of cycled in and out after after a few months. Yes, a few months or even a, even a few years. And it would people would still make a difference in that time. Like they, they definitely would make a difference. But and having lived here for a, a long time in a place where there's a lot of cycling through. You get a little bit, um, you get a little bit jaded with the people who are coming in for a short period of time, and you kind of think, and then what, you know, and and then what, and you, it's a, it's quite a bit of investment, as 
you know, as you'd be aware, you know, it's an investment to build a relationship and to work, um, work into some kind of either working relationship or friendship and then for that to, that to go. Yeah, and it's, it's, a lot of, uh, it's a lot of promises too. I think that that's, I think that, that's, that's one thing that you, that you warned us about and you know it was was not being overzealous and not not wanting to over over um over promise mm -hmm. and, and and it's funny i always feel like in the in the position in the position that we're often in you know because sometimes we're we're teachers right and and, mm -hmm. and 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 we're teaching and i feel like teaching is is often a a completely unfair dynamic because the the teacher often learns more than the student does, yeah. you know. If you're really perceptive and you're and you're doing that, and 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 I felt like as we as we came through, we came through with this idea of like how we wanted to help and what we wanted to change. And Emmanuel totally changed my view of of disability. Uh, we we actually helped another guy. We gave him a a wheelchair. And, and I remember coming back and, and we saw this guy. We just saw him in, Haru, in Arusha. And he said to us, he said, he said, my, my life has changed. And we're like, well, all right. Like, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what we're looking for. But it wasn't what I had envisioned. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I had envisioned was, okay, like this guy's, this guy's independent and he's on his own and he's doing it. And he actually, as a result of having a chair, told us, that it got him a better a better corner where he could where he could beg on a better corner and he was actually employing somebody to push him to this better corner and i'm going okay all right yeah. <laughs> that's like cool but not exactly the way that i imagined it you know and i think that I think that it must be it must be for you that I mean it's just been twenty five years now right that 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 you've seen things, but i also i saw you know it, it's funny just sort of driving around because we drove around and and the most common toy that we'd see is that that little the the like little wire loop with with the stick and the kid running along with the stick and what what struck me was just how happy people were. You know, how, how, how you see people who seemingly have nothing. And we're surrounded every day by people who seemingly have everything. And, yeah. and it's amazing how many people who seemingly have everything are so unhappy. We're trying to figure out how to be happy. And the people who seemingly have nothing have found a way to be happy is that is that one of the things that 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 has struck you and and have you been have you been changed by by seeing by by seeing simplicity in a way that you might not have imagined it growing up yes it it really has changed it's definitely changed me it's changed me in my own life with what makes you what makes you happy what fills what fills your cup um it, it definitely has it's of course uh, as everybody knows you know it's it's not all roses of course when you when you can't always feed your kids at the end of the day in in these communities but you're right you know life is it is a little bit simpler here expectations generally with especially with the population with whom i'm working it's it's simpler the expectations of the kind of work or the outcomes of of the work that we're doing are very low uh, and it's 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 always gratifying then when a parent might come and pick a child up and go wow i never excuse the cat yeah. So, it, but I've definitely, I've definitely, it, it changes. It's changed the way I work. It's changed who I am, how I live, uh, what my expectations are for 
my own children um, and and I do take that wherever I am now. I, it's not to say that I can't go and shop with the best of them, but it, <laughs> it's, but it, it's just it's a it's a very different uh, a very different way of living life and what your expectations can be of life. You didn't have any children when we first met you. No, that's right. You have three girls now. That's right. You weren't married even when we when we first met you. No. No, no, that was uh, 2000, 20, 2008. I think I was uh, footloose and fancy free uh, back then. Imagine. And um, and then, yes, I, I'd, I'd already met my future husband, but we weren't, we weren't dating um, back then. And then we ended up, uh, we got married in September 2009. And uh, I think that I must have seen you just after that. Did you come back in October 2009? So 2009, we came back actually. So you must have gone and gotten married when we were on the, on the mountain because we were on the top of the mountain on the six and a half day. Uh, so, on the, so on the seventh day, really, on the 30th. So we were on the mountain from the 23rd through the 29th or 20, 23rd through the through the 2nd of October something like that right yeah we got married on the on the 12th of September so just before you got into got into town <laughs> I think you Imagine. kept it relatively quiet <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember knowing about this <laughs> it was the girlfriend conversation that would probably happen in the back of the bus <laughs> hey by the way i just got married yeah. by the way yeah by the way things have changed um and yeah then we've got uh, so we've got three three beautiful girls um who've been who grow up who are growing up here in in arusha yeah and i did get a chance to go to their school in december when we came back to celebrate our 10-year anniversary the international school yeah how how is how how is doing what you've done living where you live how has that changed the way that you've raised your your daughters or the story that you tell to your daughters or hasn't it i mean i don't know i don't know parenting i guess in in any other way or in in any other place this is this is where my girls grow up and they watch both my husband, Jack, and me living, living the dream. I don't know, living the dream, but, but sort of circling back to what I said at the beginning, to be, to be living, the, living, living the mission in our lives. So Jack um, has a small Medivac company um, and is a pilot. And established this um, established this business to be carrying people in, out, and around Tanzania, um, getting moving them to a higher level of a higher level of healthcare. And the girls have grown up before they could crawl, crawling, walking, as the plaster house has has grown as well, and they they more know more than they can understand about ability and disability so part of what the part of my my oldest daughter is in her last year of primary school this year and part of what they do is they the uwc the united world college of east africa which is the school they're at is um they take a group of children from the plaster house with the group of final year of primary school children out into Tarangiri and go camping out there for two nights and experience living, working with these Tanzanian children with disabilities at the same time that they're on their sort of their final year, final year camp. And I, to me, I found that something that was 
relatively normal. And my aunt was visiting me from New Zealand at the time that they were just doing the, the parent presentation on the Tarangiri camp. And she just, she was blown away by, by what this meant and what it meant for the children. And, you know, in particular, what it meant for the international school children and what they were going to gain out of this incredible experience of being out in a, in a Tanzanian national park with children recovering from surgery for a disability who'd never been out in a national park before, who'd never seen the, the animals that uh, people see, or that we, yes, that you see the safari animals. And, and here, here were our children who were going to be part of this amazing process. And the gift that our children were getting from that was, was just huge. But it took somebody from outside to tell me that, oh my goodness, you know, what, this, this is outrageous for me to realize that actually, yes, it was outrageous. You know, what an amazing experience. Outrageous in, a, in an absolutely spectacular way. Absolutely spectacular. Awesome way. Yeah. Now, I mean, you're talking about the kids from the Plaster House. You're talking about the kids from the International School. But you're also about, talking about Terengiri, where all of the animals are. And I remember that we went to a lodge there where, where Dave's, uh, Dave's in-laws or family or somebody, somebody had a lodge there. I forget exactly what the relationship yeah. was. And one of, the, one of the, the daughters took us out, you know, a daughter who was, who was around, around our age, took us out and took us out in a, in a Jeep where the top had been cut off and there were no doors on the Jeep and we're driving through and it was just, it was just Dave and me with her. And, and this is, this is a huge treat that we're getting our own private little tour. But meanwhile, I'm looking in the grasses the whole time because they're, they're just, it's a dirt road and all these long grasses. And I'm looking in the grasses for like the female lion. Oh, yeah. who's, who's going to pluck me out of this, out of this Jeep. So these, these kids are going to effectively there with all of these animals. Is, is that, am I correct in understanding that? Because that part sounds significant too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm such a responsible parent sending my daughter off willingly into that situation. But yeah. And, and as part of this school trip, they get out and they play football in those long grasses with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> because they're not in a lodge, they stay in, they stay in, uh, in tents in, in, the, in the public campsites. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That, that was an awesome place to see. I mean, we, we did not see any cats while we were there. Yeah. We were there briefly. Which yeah. was was a little bit disappointing, but it was it was also just amazing. Or, and you were you were so helpful. I mean, much to the chagrin probably of the of the ostrich because I think the ostrich were effectively in heat, and you were <laughs> describing to us that that the male ostrich. I mean, this is effectively like like this is this is middle school like as bad as it could possibly get, right? Because the male ostrich essentially like like turns it's legs like turn pink basically right to to show that, and and which which i'm sure gets elicits the the response from the female ostrich of like oh yes i know all of what you're all about yeah. and no it's not going to happen <laughs> exactly exactly no and it was you know we were potentially vaguely amused by the fact that it's the male who goes on heat out of in this uh, particular species as opposed to the female and you know it serves them right that they're turning bright pink from the tip of their nose to the tip of their toes you know bright pink red it's kind of like they're taking one for the team for the whole uh, male species of every animal everywhere you know it's uh, uh, bright. I red. think that's the most brutal experience of, of anybody who's ever had that that middle school dance experience you know it could be, it could be much worse you could be an ostrich yeah, exactly. 
turning bright red once a month. Anyway, I don't know how often it is. I'm, you know, wildlife's not my specialty. I know, I know you seem to know something there. It goes pink. <laughs> so we saw the early iteration of the plaster house a long time ago. So that's when we were there. I believe that was in 2009. Is that when, when you founded the, the plaster house just prior to that? 2008. So 2008. You, you actually came and visited the plaster house, um, I guess, two months after its inception. I started, it started in, in April, May of 2008. Uh, and it started with, nine beds and we thought maybe 12 to 15 children at a time. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's the objective? What's the mission of the plaster house? Basically what had happened was that I had been given the job or given the challenge to bring in more children with disabilities from a large outreach area to have treatment at the Lutheran Hospital where I was working. So we were bringing in children from the villages, from these outreach villages, and we were treating them and sending them home and then they were to come back for follow-up appointments. And, and these we were long distances too, right? long distances and even if they weren't long distances they it just it, we were losing people for follow-up so parents failed to get the money together to bring the child back in for surgery children had had come in with bent legs they went home with straight legs in pop in plaster casts and parents would cut the the pop off and say, oh, okay, well, you know, the legs are straight now, off you go. Or kids Which would come undid in the surgery, effectively. Yeah, undid the surgery, yeah. Okay. Or they missed their, missed their appointments, and so they'd come back in, and there might be infections on the inside of the, of the plaster cast, or they'd be cohabitating with, uh, with stock. And so they would have ticks and fleas and all sorts of things on the inside of the, of the POP. It was, and you need a good diet as, as you know, you know, for, for healing, you need a, you need a good diet to get over surgery. You, it, it's actually, there is a little bit of a, a science and an, an art to healing after you've had surgery. And so we're talking about corrective orthopedic surgery, plastic surgery, pediatric neurosurgery, and we were sending children out to the village. So the premise basically was that we were, we were, we had a place for children to stay after they'd had surgery and to rehabilitate before they went home. So they'd have They'd have the surgery, we'd, we'd bring them in from outreach, they'd have the surgery and then they'd stay with us until they went home. So it was, a, it was really to be a home away from home, a place where we could give them a really, good, a really good diet, look after them, keep them close to the hospital if there were any issues with the, uh, with the, with the wounds or um, with the plaster casts or with the healing process, we could get them back to the hospital straight away. And it's just children, not, not parents, just children. Mamas stay with the children uh, if the child is breastfeeding or if the child's situation is, is precarious. Um, but generally we send the mamas, the mamas go back home or the parents go back home and leave their child to be cared for by us. Uh, part of the reason is that this child with the disability is often, more often than not, one of many children that mama will be looking after. You know, a child will stay with us for sometimes three to six months. And that period of time to take mama out of the home is a, is a really long time. So we look after the child in that, in that period of time. We have a, a whole staff of house mothers who look after the children and care for them as if they were their own.
is it still hard for these for these mamas to to leave their their children with you? But I think that somehow it, we come back to that sense of community, the sense of community where everybody helps out financially. It's sort of, it, they say in Africa, it takes a village to raise a child, and the plaster house and the plaster house staff and the plaster house setup is it becomes part of that village. So, so in 2008, it really was by that time, I think one house mother or maybe two house mothers, a driver and, and me running the facility. It, it's, that's, that's how we started with the dream of maybe 15 children at a time. And mm -hmm. now you have, you have a beautiful campus yeah. uh, that, that I visited and 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 how many children can you can can you house on this campus? How how has it grown? We house up to typically up to 150 children at a time. 150 children. Yeah, 150 children at a time uh, in in all stages of the process. So we have a therapeutic feeding program. Uh, that helps get children strong enough to have corrective surgery through the corrective surgery process um, and staying with us still until they're fully rehabilitated. So in 2013, we opened um, a 48 bed facility. Again, thinking that this was going to be the <laughs> The final the final number, but it was it really has been a, a case of build it and they will come and they came and so in those first forty eight beds we'd have over a hundred children so in twenty eighteen um, we opened an expansion to to eighty beds so we have eighty beds currently uh, and in mid-March, before we needed to decrease our throughput a little bit, um, we had 180 children in those in those beds. So we really did sort of build, or I guess fill a, a hole that maybe I didn't even realize needed to be filled. Or how big it really was how big it really was and how big the need is all around the, the country. We started our outreach in a relatively small area in north central Tanzania. Our outreach now goes a lot further. Uh, we, we provide it or we, we do this outreach with a whole lot of different modalities. It's not just jumping around in, in, a, uh, in the back of a Land Rover any longer. We're using media, social media. We're empowering other people to, to refer us in these children. And they are. <laughs> the children are there. Wow. Now, what are the, what are the outcomes? Because you're getting, you're, you're filling such a, such a need and then I'd imagine your your outcomes have been have been significant as well in terms of how how much more successful the surgeries have been. Is that oh, true? Absolutely. You know, and um, both both with orthopedic surgery, we've got a nursing staff who do the dressing changes following plastic surgery. So plastic surgery surgeons don't come over here and do facelifts and eyes and although I could probably deal with it, do with it somehow. You look beautiful. They, no, um, no. They come over here typically and work with uh, children who are born with hair lip, cleft palate, so cleft mm -hmm. lip and palate. Um, they work with children who have been burnt and when they've healed from their burn, their skin has contracted. So they are typically you know, not able to straighten their fingers out, not able to lift their arm because the, the, the scar has, has healed in a way that means that their, their joints are constricted. So that's the kind of uh, plastic surgery that we do here. Wow, and, 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 but 
but and then when they've gone back to their villages, then they, they've been more productive. They've been they've been happier. They've been healthier. Absolutely, it's always about the function. It's always about the function. We look at a child and can is surgery going to help improve their function? That's what we look at. Is this child going to be able to to walk with less pain because his knees aren't knocking together and therefore be able to either herd the goats with his father or hopefully be able to access some kind of education. Um, so we're this year launching a, a research project to really look at our long-term effect uh, on children's lives and so that we are really following through on how has this changed your child's life? You know, bent legs, straight legs, but what impact has it really had on your child and, and on the family? How has this made life easier? Wow. I would imagine, have, do, do you think that you are going to be surprised when you get the results of this? I mean, you've been surprised by the numbers already, but mm -hmm. do you think you'll be surprised by, by the outcome, by the, by the impact that you've had? Yeah. I, I, and it's not you specifically. I realize it's a team of people. It's a, I, as a program, I'm expecting that we might be humbled by the kind of information that we get back. And that's why we see more children coming through every year. Because you might parents, be humbled. What do you mean by that? It, humbled by the impact that we actually have. So yes, surprised, but surprised and yes, and, and humbled as to the major impact that I think we have on children's lives and changing the face of disability in, in Tanzania. You know, our vision is that no child should live with a treatable disability. And that's a lofty vision, but I really believe that's, that's, where, we're, that's where we're headed. And changing, transforming communities is all part of that. Transforming a community's uh, understanding of disability, understanding of children living with disability. We're already seeing the changes, and I guess the research is going to back this up, but we see the changes in that children are getting um, referred into us as newborns now, as opposed to seeing a child who was born with club foot and it's taken two or three years to get them into us and they're already walking on the club foot. Now we're getting so many more children in as, as newborns. Uh, with hair, with with cleft cleft lip and palate, with club foot, with other congenital abnormalities, and so people are effectively making an investment in their children through you now, yes, and and in their future, and the future, not just of the children, but of the whole family, and really of the community, which is a far more tightly knit community. So. So the ripples are, are pretty profound. They really are. And it's, it's interesting in Swahili, sort of you talk about an investment, we actually ask parents to make a financial investment as part of the, as part of the Plaster House program. So the uh, program is, is donor funded. We, we fundraise, we raise funds to treat these children with disabilities. So, just throwing it out there, but it costs us on average $850 to look after a child from the beginning of treatment right through the end of treatment. And we ask the parents to make a financial contribution to the care of the child. And usually this is between two and 5% of the, of the total cost. In Swahili, the word for free is the same as the word for worthless. And what we say is bure ni bure, free is worthless. So we ask the parents to make a financial contribution to the care of their child. 
and it, in it, and we explain that and then we you know it is then the parents who we say you're the ones who brought your child for treatment you're the ones who've made the contribution for the treatment it's not the crazy red-headed white woman who's looked after your child and treated your child you treated your child you made the investment and that also makes for a better long-term story because then there's much more likelihood that the child's splints are going to be worn that there's better follow-through beyond that initial period of treatment and rehabilitation they have skin in the game exactly it you told us that when we were there and that was something that made a huge impression on me because I think there is always the thought of, well, we want to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and this impression of you, you want to help somebody, but you also want them to be invested in helping themselves and, and, and to value what's going on. The, the idea of, of free is worthless is mm-hmm. you get what you pay for too. And, mm-hmm. and it's something that's informed some of what we've done with schools. I mean, we do a lot of school presentations in the US and, and it's the same kind of thing where, where we're looking for an investment from the school because, because it is worthless if, if they don't have to make something. So now this is, this is home for you. Is this, is this home? Is this home for good? Is it, or, or, I mean, you never really know for sure if anything's for, for forever, but. This is, this is home for us. This is home for us. We've had, uh, you know, some some big challenges as a family over the last uh, few years, and this is this is where we want to be. Uh, it's it's where I see the growth of the plaster house happening. So where we're at at the moment, or having come back into. Uh, come back into Tanzania after a chunk of time, I see the the plaster house runs really well with a really great administrative team here. And I was challenged to think, you know, what will be next for Sarah if the plaster house is running well? And what's next for Sarah is to have another plaster house somewhere else in Tanzania, to be able to treat more children closer to their own homes, to be investing in a surgical, the capacities of a surgical hospital somewhere else in Tanzania and to get funded children through a corrective surgery program somewhere else in Tanzania. Ah, well, I mean, the, the kids, anybody who comes in contact with you, Sarah, Sarah is a lucky person. Uh, um, Thank you. <laughs> and, 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 not to embarrass you, but but I think that that's the case, definitely. And can people can people go? I know you have a Facebook page. The Plaster House is is a Facebook page. Uh, you have a website as well. We have a website as well. It's called theplasterhouse.org, um, and we ha- have just set up a five hundred one c three in the United States called Friends of the Plaster House. Uh, that is supporting the work of the Plaster House over here in Tanzania. Wonderful. So if people want to learn more about the Plaster House, they can go to the Plaster House page on Facebook or Plaster House, theplasterhouse.org? Theplasterhouse.org. The Plaster House. It's important that you can, one letter off and, and you end yeah. up in the wrong place, right? But, uh, but the plasterhouse.org. And, and if people want to contribute and, and help, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. One, the work that you're doing to help kids, the work that you're doing to help families, to help communities, but, but to, you know, to educate people like us coming in and, and visiting Africa and hopefully helping helping a little bit and having a little bit of an impression on some people and trying to trying to tell that story it's a collective story that that i think we we have to continue to tell and so sarah i so appreciate you talking to us from 2 a.m to 3 a.m in the morning will you go back to sleep now or do you just start your day (laughs) (laughs) i have to you know 
open all the bedroom doors so the children can, uh, you know, get the noise again. But um, no, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, Chris. I mean, it's uh, 12 years since we since we first met, and um, and and you really have made a huge impression on on me and my family and uh, working working together and showing you a little bit of our corner of Tanzania has always been a, a pleasure of mine. It's always fun. There's usually a beer in our hands, it has to be said, rather than a, than a cup of tea, but you know. You make do with what, you, nothing if not flexible, right? And, and one of the highlights of last year certainly was getting to show our film with yeah. with you and and that to me was just because it was always it was always the hope of of being able to share that and and hoping that that and probably more so to Jiri's story the porter who climbed with us yeah uh, than my story uh, yeah but, uh, Wes the and guy who the name tags presentation at at our, at the at my girls school was slated as the best presentation, the most impactful presentation for the whole year. And I mean, we, have a, we ha do have a number of people who come through and do different kinds of presentations, but you really captured the whole audience, the whole staff. It was, it, so come back. We'd like an annual appearance of Chris Waddell in Arusha. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> That would be wonderful. I would absolutely love that. Actually, your your headmaster there paid me the highest compliment. He said, he said, uh, he said, I'm really mad at you because you've articulated what I've been trying to say for years. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you. There you go. Seriously, it was. It really is. It's really awesome, and it's it, very impactful what you're doing. Well, doing thank you. It. Well, the more opportunities we get to work together, the th the better things are. So, I will I I will do my best <laughs> to return. But, Sarah, thank you so much. Please, uh, I hope you're not drinking coffee. I noticed there's a mug, but I hope you're not drinking coffee and can get back to sleep. So, my teapot. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> it's a complete treat. Thank you, Sarah. Keep up the great work. And people out there, thank you for joining us. You'll be able to see this on on our facebook page on the one revolution facebook page tomorrow afterwards it'll also be uploaded to youtube later on to the one revolution youtube page and and so please follow us but also please follow sarah and follow the great work that she's doing and uh, maybe we'll get back and and see you in arusha that would be absolutely wonderful so thank you so much <laughs>